Alrighty, gang. Welcome to the True Wealth Radio Show on this, the greatest Tuesday you've had all week. I am your host, Dave Littlejohn, joined in studio, of course, by... Matt Dixon. And Matt... Yes. We are... Uh, this is about as well-prepared as we can be, right? I would say so. Yeah. Uh, pages and pages of notes. Right. We've talked about all of the things. Now, you know, it's, it's funny. Sometimes the best shows are the ones that you, you're, you're going to wing it a little bit. Uh, it's funny. We talked about, and I think it may be relevant today. Uh, so today's show, we're talking a little bit about the timing of decisions. Yeah. Okay. Timing of decisions, and th there's there's an old adage that we're going to start with on this one, right? It's not timing the market, it's time in the market. Oh, wow. I feel like that could be the title of the show right there. Exactly. So, and, and here's, here's the reason we're bringing this up. Markets are behaving really weird right now. Yeah. Right? If you were to do investment analysis, it's really pretty tricky. So we're going to spend a little time talking about that right now. Right. I mean, didn't we almost set a record for the number of consecutive up days in a market? Well, I mean, I mean how do you want to measure the record, right? We right. basically had 13 up days in a row for the Dow, which had we had the 14th day would have, would have not tied? been top since the 1800s. It's like 1865 or something, however long. It was way back to the 1800s. It was, it's, that's... It was uncanny, mm -hmm. right? And so we've basically had two down days out of like sixteen now. Mm -hmm. So it is it is remarkable. The market's been on a tear. It has, of course. I still maintain that it doesn't tell the whole story. It doesn't because what if you invested January one of twenty twenty two, right? Then you're actually still upside down in most cases, right? Even though we've been going crazy. Right. Yeah. This year, year to date, fantastic. And especially if you've held the worst performing asset classes of 2022, mm -hmm. you are doing the best in those asset classes in 2023. Right. We've seen a shift in dynamic because in 2022, what performed the best? So what we saw, it's less of a type of like, it wasn't a sector of the market. No, it wasn't. It was a type of investment. Okay. Do you want to talk about that a little bit today? I, I will. Right. Okay. It was the low beta segment. And of the what does that mean for the average listener? Okay, so it's the letter that comes after alpha. <laughs> That's a stock market joke for everyone who's like, okay. "What do you say?" Yeah, I think it's Greek, right? No, all right, beta is a statistical measurement that we mm -hmm. use, and what it's what it's really used for is a benchmarking tool to compare volatility against a benchmark. Right. So the big swings up and down. Right. So let's just use a non-stock example, if you will, or it can still be sort of Maybe stock. an index or you can talk about? Well, about what beta means. Okay. Okay. So if you have a benchmark, and it doesn't matter what it is in this case, but if you're benchmarking and your benchmark was to go up $1 in value, if you had a beta of one, it would go up $1 then, in then value. Then the investment that was being compared against the benchmark would go up exactly $1 as well. Mm -hmm. It would move in sync with, up or down, the same amount as your benchmark. Because right. a one, a beta of 1 is the benchmark. So if it only goes up $0.60, cents, it would have a beta of 0 0.6. 0 0.6, which mm -hmm. means the index, the, the benchmark, let's use the benchmark here, and then we'll transition to why why I'm calling it benchmark. The benchmark goes up a dollar, you go up 60 cents, then you would have a beta of 0.6. Mm -hmm. So it would be 60% as much movement. Right. And in theory, it should be the same for both upside and downside. Right, so if the market... You lost have... a dollar, you only lose 60 cents. Mm -hmm. Okay, And so your beta of 0.6 means you have... 
40% less volatility than your benchmark. Right. Now, why does this matter? Because the benchmark is typically a major index. And the most common one that's utilized is the S&P 500. 500 largest companies in the U.S. Right. So if the S&P 500 goes up a dollar and you have a beta of one, you make a dollar. Okay. You can have a beta bigger than one. Like if you have a beta of two, then you go up twice as much. Or potentially down twice as fast. So we can look at the S&P 500 and we know there's up days and down days. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, so it's volatile. Our it's a, as a benchmark, we can then compare it to what we own and see do what does what we own go up or down more or less. Right, and so what you're talking about is in 2022, the low beta stocks were on average the ones that were performing better. Right, that was the more attractive section of the market. Now this this makes intuitive sense, right? Mm-hmm. If you have a lower beta than the market, then what's it sort of tell you? It's it, not is volatile. Well, as... and it may be lower risk, right? Mm-hmm. Lower volatility means lower risk in some forms of measurement. Right. Okay. Doesn't necessarily mean you have less of a default risk or bankruptcy risk or whatever it is. But the way that we, one of the ways we associate risk is volatility, the swings up and down. Okay. So, so more so, of the quote unquote, I'm air quoting this, the slow and steadies, right? Right. The slow and steadies were the more popular. And again, it makes sense because if you're if you saw people that were scared in 2022, where did they go? Right. If you moved your money out of one spot, where did you go? Well, you didn't really run to the bond area of the market because interest rates were, were still going up. Low. Yeah. Well, rising interest rates, yeah, rising interest rates make bond prices fall. So you don't want to go buy things when the rates are going higher. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if, if rates had bottomed and they were starting to so go up, people avoided the bond sector a yes. lot. Yes. And so we started to see interest rate hikes. Bonds looked and bad. If technology was suffering. Where did they put their right. money? And technology was sort of suffering because if interest rates go up and tech companies borrow money a lot of the time, mm-hmm. their cost to borrow was going up, which right. harms profits. Yes. Okay. So you could kind of see how things go. You go, well, then let's go to the boring companies that don't have a lot of debt, that don't get harmed as much by rising interest rates. Mm-hmm. And those tended to be those sleepy sort of, you know, the company the low that sells, volatility stocks. Yeah, the company that sells paper towels or... Shaving <laughs> cream and yeah, yeah, all that sort of, you know, everyday stuff. So, you know, something we call consumer staples, by the way. Mm-hmm. Those, that's an example. But that's a sector a category right. rather than... And it wasn't uh, really as much sector-based as it yeah. was. This is factor-based, is mm-hmm. what we say. So factor-based. And this is a, there's new trends in analysis between there used to be capitalization or you had um, the growth versus value. Now, these factor-based investments have to do with different statistical factors and so forth that people mm-hmm. would potentially use to sort investment options. So what's funny you mentioned that I've noticed that a popular trend right now is factor based ETFs. Absolutely. And that's really been catching on. That's been a kind of a popular trend. This is not a new trend in the marketplace, by the way. Mm -hmm. These new sort of catchy marketing right. mechanisms show up and people go, oh, and then everybody- It's kind of kind that of new shiny that object, right? It is. And it's academically interesting. The thing mm-hmm. is that when you have a statistical measurement of something, all that tells you is it's, well, in my opinion, it tells you a lot about its behavior. In the past. <laughs> well, yeah, it's backward looking. It tells you about what its behavior has been. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't necessarily explain why the behavior occurred. That's a good point. Right. And so this is something that 
uh, want to get into this a little bit more. I, I want to unpack the concept of what drives the price of stocks. Okay. And I'm going to give you a secret here. At the end of the day, I believe it's only one thing. Oh. Like only one thing. And I'm not going to like cliffhang it. I will tell you, right? I think that the only thing that drives stocks is supply and demand. I tend to agree with that okay? statement. I mean, that's it. If you have more buyers than sellers, the price goes up. I think if you have more sellers than buyers, the price goes down. Mm -hmm. okay? And it doesn't always have to be based on what is the company worth or can I justify this price? Because sometimes it's a popularity contest. And I think we've been seeing that a little bit lately. So that's the rub, right? Yeah. If it's all supply and demand, the question is what do people perceive that makes them demand the demand change? Mm -hmm. And then sometimes it's a structural thing. What structurally changed the supply? Well, I think a good example of that lately has been AI, right? The market has reacted to the news that AI is gaining in popularity and a lot of people think that it's the future. Mm -hmm. And so we've seen investors flocking to areas of the market where AI is prominent and we've, in a sense, forgone the need to assess what is the company worth everyone's buying it everyone's buying it i'll jump yeah. on it too and we watch prices run away it's the lemming theory yes right oh everybody's running this way i'll run too where are we running to over there over there <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the and then everyone's everyone's on the sidelines like wow look at that share price and you know there are some real life examples. I'm not going to name names on purpose, but if you were to look at the fundamentals or the underlying valuation and go, so let me understand this, right? I have a price to earnings ratio of 600 to one, which means mm -hmm. for every $600 that the company makes, I get $1 of the profits. Mm -hmm. That's the equivalent revenue share that I'm receiving. Versus a company that for every $20 they make, I get a dollar. And when it's really weird, it's like, and the company that's I'm getting a dollar for every 20 they make actually makes more money than the other company. And you go, well, how can this be? And some people would say like, well, look at Tesla back in the day. No mm -hmm. earnings at all. Now, big earnings, mm -hmm. right? A lot of money flows through Tesla. And I'm, I realize there's federal tax credits and there's all kinds of other things that can skew those. But bottom line is still... It went from making nothing, so as an investor, you were betting on them turning the corner, to now showing profits. And so, okay, then the vision of where it was heading played out. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not saying it can't happen, but I'm saying sometimes the economics of a stock are divorced from reality. Well, I think <laughs> NVIDIA is a good example of yeah. that, right? Like yeah, We're we, both thinking this right yeah, now. Yeah, because we I mean, say it? We, we don't, yeah, we don't currently have it in our investment portfolio, no. but we have in the past. We still go back and visit it sometimes. Yeah, I mean, you look at a company that sentiment in 2022 is pretty low, right? Like right. these tech companies, they got to, you know, leverage debt, interest rates are high. And, well, consumer demand is down a little bit. And we watched the share price fall, I think, all the way down to almost $96 a share or somewhere yeah, in that it was range. super low, and now it's almost 500 or something. Right. So it's like in under a year, you just 5X your money if you had bought at the very bottom. Right. Wait, did the company really become five times more valuable than it was less than a year ago? Or... Well, are the people perception trying to, that it, it is has changed. Right. People are right? trying to price in 
future growth. Trying and that say, is really oh, tricky AI to do. is going to forever, right? Uh-huh. Okay, that's an interesting one. We can talk more about that. But this is this example of, hey, the fundamentals are divorced from the behavior. And okay. I see you kind of like waving the yeah. red flag, right? Like well, this is a, a red flag moment when reality and pricing don't coordinate. Right. But just remember, markets can remain irrational longer than you can remain solvent. Ooh, another great yeah. quote by David so, Little. So the question is, how as investors might we respond to this? We'll unpack some more of that, but I'm told we need to take our first obscene profit break. Okay. So we'll do that when we come back. More about how to handle markets where... The economics don't seem to align with the fundamentals. That and more. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 939 FM at 1240 KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show, where if you are just catching on right now and you missed the first segment, Matt, what do they do? Go hit up the website at littlejohnfs.com and you can find us. Is it under the Educate tab yeah, still? Under yeah, under Educate. There, or the Knowledge Center. Knowledge. We it's moved knowledge it to Knowledge, center. yep. So we've got, we're on there. I think iTunes as well, Spotify. You can, Pandora yeah. even. We're everywhere. Oh, yeah. I mean, any of the places that you want to get podcasts, you can subscribe and it'll you know notify yep. you when we publish a new one because uh, every week we post the show. And, you know, they're backlogged forever. And a lot of this because we have some legal reasons we do it, believe mm -hmm. it or not. Uh, when you are in the profession of providing financial advice, the things that we say on air can be scrutinized. So they all have to be documented, right? Because we want to make sure that we're not going out there and giving you guys, like, terrible financial advice. So that's, that's you know, rule number one mm -hmm. in our office. Don't say something that gets us sued, right? Uh, so it starts by try not to make really dumb uh, specific personalized advice. So we don't do that on this show. But we are talking today about some of the things that, uh, speaking of dumb, like when the markets don't make sense, mm -hmm. right? This, by the way, it doesn't make you dumb. And if you're listening to this and you're going, I, I don't know, I don't do this, it, that's okay too. It's still useful to know some of this stuff, even if you're not a do-it-yourselfer, mm -hmm. right? And even if you're working with somebody else that's helping you and you like them and everything's working great, that's fantastic. But it's still valuable to understand some of these pieces, what's driving things underneath the hood of the markets. Because I think people make a lot of wild assumptions that oftentimes have less to do with what's going on than they think, right? Mm -hmm. uh, there can be some things I suspect really do move mass psychology. Because ultimately, that's a lot of what the market is. It's just a mass psychology, the perception of value, okay? Right. What makes you perceive something is valuable? What, where, where is your focus? What are you watching, yeah. right? Like if you're watching the news and the news is always saying, well, we're headed into a tailspin, the economy's horrible, mm -hmm. you might start to believe that by default your investment should be horrible. And but the reality is that's not always accurate. It, uh, it rarely, oftentimes, rarely is it accurate. Well, so the stock market is typically a leading indicator. Mm -hmm. So it's typically ahead of the right. economic indicators. Yep. Okay. And yeah, it, the, the things that people insist should have something to do with it just don't sometimes. And it's interesting. You look at this run that we've had in the market. It's happening right now. The stock market's been moving higher in the midst of everyone talking about a recession. Right. A recession, rising interest rates. So the market might, might, this is speculative, it might be trying to tell us that 
the recession concerns aren't as grave as we think or that we're going to move out of it in the next X number of months. Who knows? Who knows? Or maybe the market is telling us exactly that there's a recession coming and Mm -hmm. it's still the lemming theory, which is who can be the last one out the door? That's kind of where my mind is at in all of this. Uh, I I think trust issues are still low with this market. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I, I also, I'll just go out there on a limb and say it. I think trust issues are really uh, uh, trust is low across the board like there are a bunch of people that if if like if you're out there and you do not agree with me or matt then you will just have low trust Mm -hmm. because we've gotten in this habit of taking data to confirm what we want to believe manipulating it until infinity it's it's, it's what we call confirmation bias right Mm -hmm. when you discard information that doesn't prove what you want and and you just latch onto the information that does to prove that you're right. We see this in D.C. all the time. Oh, we see this in D.C. all the time. They're going to give you a number or a stat, but it doesn't tell well, even a tenth of the whole story. Yeah. And, and, I mean, here's a real example. Again, it's lightning rod when I say this, but if, if you want scientific consensus on an issue, only fund the scientists that agree with your premise, mm-hmm. right? Oh, we came up with alternate data. Well, that's great, but you've lost your funding, so you can't keep doing research. That's interesting, because over here, they found stuff that confirmed what we were looking for. Well, by all means, let's renew that grant. Mm-hmm. You know, And before you know it, you have sort of bought your way to the confirmation bias. Writing your own narrative. Yeah. This is why the science is such a dangerous thing, because... Uh, as soon as you saw politicians, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't hear scientists run out there and say the science is settled. I heard politicians say it. Yep. And science, by definition, is ever changing. It never gets settled, mm-hmm. right? There is nothing in science that is considered immutable. We have some things that we consider principles or laws because they've been tested so many ways that it seems really sure. Like it's really hard to think we don't need oxygen for fire, right? <laughs> You need fuel and oxygen and heat, right? And you're like, we generally accept that to be true. But if you're truly a scientist and we somehow discovered that that assumption was false, then we'd have to re-examine it because science is pliable in that respect. It has to go with the best known data at the time. Mm -hmm. Okay. Politicians, on the other hand, like to move data around to move money around. Yes. Okay. And so if that's the case, you could see now as investors how this can be problematic too because the news sources that are delivering something, if, 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 if any news source, and I don't care where you're getting it from, right? Like, mm-hmm. like we're, we try really hard to pull news from a lot of agnostic sources. They're not all agnostic, right? We try to pull from lots of angles to triangulate on reality. Mm-hmm. And even then, how do you get your own opinion out of the way? You can't fully get it out of the At way. At some point, right? you, you kind of make a judgment call and go, well, I think it's going to be this. Yeah. And, you know, here's the reasons why I think it. And if you're wrong, which sometimes you're wrong, then you do the best you can to you know, stop the damage early. Right. Let your, let your winners run. Trim your losers early. Yeah. There you go. But it's crazy how all of this to suggest that many investors suffer from this con- this confirmation bias. You see what you want to see. Well, say you have a narrative, right? You can go to the Google machine and start Googling whatever it is that you believe in, and you're going to eventually find articles that agree with what you think. 
And if that's the narrative, well, and if not, you can get ChatGPT to probably write one for you. There you go, right? <laughs> and so it's AI at work. it's easy if you are centered in your thought to just kind of go down that rabbit hole and only look at information that confirms what you believe. Yeah, and I think this is really dangerous because there are times like I know today when our investment committee met, mm -hmm. I'm not going to say what it was, but there were a handful of uh, positions that we had owned and they were pretty beat up. And we looked at them and said, oh, man, this is awful. And lots of reasons that we're kind of nervous about this that, and the other. And so what did we do? We held our nose and bought because it appears to be on sale. Mm -hmm. Well, and we also didn't really agree on all of the ideas between different positions. That but is true. That's why we have a committee because it makes us stop and think. Absolutely. And again, that, that, that I think there's that's some of the advantage. Uh, you know, we don't completely hide behind the, the mm -hmm. fact that this is a this program. We pay to be here. Mm -hmm. You know, we I, I try really hard to make this informational and valuable. But at the end of the day, if you find yourself sort of paralyzed on these decisions yourself, are you going, you know, this is the benefit of having a team and folks that are trained around this rather than being emotionally sort of led as much. That's the advantage uh, over do it yourself is, hey, you can reclaim some bandwidth and you can have somebody help you with it. If you can do it yourself, do it yourself. Yep. Right. I mean, that that's great it, because if, if you if you can and you like to do it, and you have the bandwidth, it's more affordable. Mm -hmm. Right. But that's everything. Pretty much. I mean, hey, it's, it's cheaper more to affordable landscape your own lawn than have somebody else do it unless you could have traded your time better somewhere else. Or you forgot to turn on the sprinkler, killed your yard, and you have to end up replanting, right? Like those little mistakes often yeah. end up being expensive mistakes. Well, and it's funny because we've de we've devoted entire shows to this before, like jumping over a dollar to pick up a You dime. know why I take my vehicle to a mechanic to have it fixed instead of a friend? <laughs> so my friends can if something's wrong you can go back to the mechanic and tell them to make it right <laughs> yes that's exactly why right like i have a local mechanic that's awesome my friend could have done the repair and it was something pretty simple and i paid the money to have the mechanic do it but when there was an issue i went back and said can you fix this and it was yeah and it actually ended up needing to be fixed twice but the mechanic was there and he covered it whereas the friend would have been like i already fixed it once uh, don't right. want to do it again. So, right. but that the same thing holds true to our investments, right? Like you can do it yourself, but if something breaks, you're going to have to be the one that always goes back to try and fix it. Right. So, yeah, I mean, and fix it's all relative. Investing mm -hmm. sometimes uh, you sometimes can't. you can't really fix but it. Sometimes you just you have can. to reposition mm -hmm. and again damage control. Right. That happens to everybody, by the way. Even the pros, if you go look at the statistics, nobody gets it right 100% of the time. Nope. And if they did, they're probably breaking the rules somewhere or they're exploiting something. That, like high frequency traders, they exploit mm -hmm. the mechanics, right? The structural elements of the marketplace. They are, you know, doing micro trades super, super fast ahead of other people's trades because they can see order flow as it's going into the exchanges. All right. I can't do that. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, that, that is a, that's a unique proposition. It's as if you were born genetically gifted and you can hold your breath for 10 minutes and nobody else can. Like, well, OK, then you were born special. And that is kind of what those things are. They're, they're just taking advantage of a special circumstance that normal folks don't get access to.
I can just hear that, that person thinking to themselves, well, how do I find that person to manage my money? Well, and that's <laughs> the thing is that, well, you, you have to have tons of money to get into that pool typically, mm-hmm. right? So you're going to have to be in a hedge fund environment yep. and you're typically going to give up control. It's very black box-ish. And in many cases, it's not liquid. And it's not regulated the same way, right? I mean, yeah. let's talk about regulation for just half a second. Hedge funds, they get to kind of play by a different set of rules than what we're playing by, right? Um, so it's, it's the different. biggie is liquidity issues. I mean, mm-hmm. hedge funds don't have a license to just go disappear with your money. That's no. not how that works. But it is a different animal. It has you have to be an accredited investor to mm-hmm. do that typically, which means high net worth, high income, certain level of sophistication is assumed. So it's uh, there are other elements at play here that the, the typical investor may not qualify for that. Right. But l- let's throw all that aside and say there are still plenty of ways to be successful as investors. And the, the, the magic word uh, here is investor. Invest, not speculators right? or traders. It's not speculating and not trading. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't ever sell an investment. I think some people have it in their head like, well, you know, if, you are, if you're an investor, you have to buy it and hold it forever. Not so, okay? Not so. Mm-hmm. But investors do have a different innate time horizon. Like you're not buying something with the idea that, I just I need to look for my the soonest exit possible with a profit, right? Or a target profit, and I'm done. But if you buy it and two days later it's worth twenty percent more, right? Right, that's a Which different conversation. We, we have had scenarios where that has occurred, right? And then you've had to we had to say things like, well, you know, don't. Where's this phrase come from? Don't look a gift horse in the mouth. What does that even mean? I don't know. Right? I mean, I kind of think I know, but I'm not even gonna. Who cares? Right? The point, is, the point it's is, okay to take some wins. <laughs> sometimes the market just gives you some luck. You know, it lobs, right? lobs one over the plate and you got to swing at it, right? Mm-hmm. That's just all there is to it. There is luck sometimes, but luck is also timing and preparation meeting. It's true. Okay. So, uh, preparation and opportunity, I should say. So, when preparation and opportunity come together, then, you know, you can manifest some luck. So, we do like that as a concept, but uh, we're still going to talk a little bit about, hey, what are things that investors uh, ought to be doing. And again, investors in this chaos market. So, Buying a magic crystal ball. Okay, we start with the magic crystal ball. All right. And if you can't find that, we'll talk about this next. You hire us. No. <laughs> you hire us or keep listening and hire us. Who knows? All right. We'll be right back. I'm Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 939 FM and 1240 KQEN. It doesn't really make sense to me, but I'm not saying you're wrong. Well, we'll have to look at it further. <laughs> okay. Welcome back to the True Wealth Show. Uh, I'm your host, Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And, uh, yeah, behind the scenes, I guess you'll have to check out the video later if you want to try to see some of what happens behind the scenes. Yes. Uh, Matt's telling me news that I'm like, I had not heard that. Yeah. Evidently, Vladimir Putin is in the crosshairs of people yes. within his own The borders. Russian mob wants him dead. They say he is not good for business. Yeah. So all of this uh, around this uh, next segment's topic of for investors, what do you do? We, we talked about how the markets are sort of disconnected mm-hmm. right now or divorced from fundamentals. Like You look at the data and you think everything's starting to look expensive. It looks like we're heading into recession. We have an inverted yield curve. Why does the market keep going up? And here's the thing. There's an old saying, okay? It says, the markets will do whatever they can to prove the largest number of people wrong at any given time. Right, because it seeks to exploit. <laughs> 
Right. So now I don't know that the market has its own the market doesn't mentality. But the people right? that are in it do right. Well, this is the issue with the lemming concept, right? right? Because David, if you're sitting on the sideline with a bunch of money in your pocket and you see the market going up and up and up and yeah. up month after month after month, oh, you be be advised, FOMO is real. Right. And that is a big part, in my opinion, of what could be driving things right now. The retail investor. Yeah. FOMO. Fear of missing out. Mm-hmm. Right. And so people are looking at this going, shoot, I got out of this market because I was terrified. And now it's the trains left the station without me. And so I got to figure out if I'm going to jump or not. And I think you're right. To be honest, I think the retail investor has been piling in and saying, I don't want to miss it. Yeah. Um, and what's scary about that is. What happens when the large institutions catch wind of potentially something sour, right? And we start to see a sell-off, the retail investor would be the last one out. Yeah. And we don't necessarily... That's sell-offs don't have to be that catastrophic, by no, the way. No, no. It's just interesting that when the markets start getting to... Uh, we really had a remarkable run. Mm-hmm. And historically, from a seasonal perspective, summertime is often kind of soft in the marketplace. Kind of a lull. Yeah, in the action. Uh, uh, that's becoming it's seemingly less and less true with time. That does make sense given that the all the, the traders are on vacation. More access. Well, it used to be traders left the trading floor, but there's not a ton of floor traders anymore. Mm-hmm. Now, so much of this happens digitally, and you can do that from anywhere. So there, there seems that work from home trend has also potentially altered some of the seasonal trends that maybe were a result of literally the vacations and holidays. Uh, but uh, bigger picture than that, right? I'm, I'm just thinking about what's motivating all the investors out there, right? And that to me is the key. If it's all supply and demand, then one of the things that I think investors should ask themselves, and I guess this is more of a trader's question than investor question, because right, an investor can look at this and just say, well, I have a long enough time horizon that uh, if I'm not comfortable with the price right now, I can cost average into it, right? I won't buy everything all at once. I'll just spread it out over a few months and kind of work my way into the market and get the position I want to own. Very Warren Buffett approach. So you're saying if it, I mean, so if it's all supply and demand, right, we could kind of theorize that the demand has been good for buying stocks, right? Um Kind of follow me out here. So if the demand's high and people want to own the stocks, the stock prices are moving higher. Maybe that's partly due to the fact that if inflation is running hot, people don't want their money to not be invested in and therefore Absolutely. losing I think, out. I think that sounds very reasonable. Right? Like if the stock market historically outpaces inflation and inflation is hot, you would, in theory, then want to be invested because you want your money to be making money. Sure. Plus, that could be driving some of the demand. Plus, we have just seen the markets go up, in some cases, more than 20 30% in some areas of the marketplace mm-hmm. in the last year to date, right? In the last seven months. So it stands to reason that a lot of people are saying, oh, no, I better get in before I miss even more, right? So a lot of chasers... Right, the people that That's start dangerous. chasing the investment returns, mm-hmm. they're the ones that can find themselves getting scalded. Yeah, because especially if that is the same person that sold when the market was low, yeah. and then the market starts to crawl higher, and then you jump back in. Right, like that's a dangerous game to play. Right. What What did I say earlier that we did as an investment committee this morning? 
Mm. When I was talking about some positions that were really beat up. Bought more. Yeah. And and we held our nose to do it. Right, because right? the instinct was like, ugh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this was an area of the market that we were just like, eh. Because that's yucky. Right. And, yet, and then we said, but man, it's on such a discount. We do want exposure to it. And the time to buy this stuff is when it's cheap, not when it's expensive. Mm-hmm. So we held our nose and did it. And if the market keeps going down, we may have to lick our wounds a little bit here. But we don't think that it's a bad investment. And from a pricing perspective, it's far more attractive than it was, say, six months ago. Right. And do you want to do you want to own that position a year from now? Right. And, and so you want to buy it. stuff that's on sale. Yes. And there were some things that have had really big run ups that mm-hmm. we looked at and said they have had tremendous momentum. But there are, again, the things that our team looks at may not be the things that every investor looks at. That's true. You know, we, we looked at some statistical measurements, things like standard deviation for a number of trading days. And we looked at uh, certain trading ranges. We looked at valuations and projections. And we looked at, you know, declining relative dividend yield because stock price had increased and mm-hmm. dividend had not. And, and we simply decided that there was a, one position in particular, I will not name it, that we said, you know, we're going to just take the win. You know, we'd had a really good uh, return in it so far year to date and just said it's okay to take that money off the table. And it may be that the price comes back down and we're able to purchase it again. Right, because we still like right. the position. But it didn't make sense for the strategy that we're running. Mm-hmm. And it didn't make sense for the risk and reward metrics that we wanted to own for our customers any longer. I think so, you just talked about a really important thing, and that's setting some parameters and mm-hmm. guidelines around what it is that you're doing and how you're investing, because I think that's a mistake that a lot of people make when they're doing this on their own, is they go out and they say, okay, I'm going to invest, and they just start grabbing stuff without thinking about, well, where is my exit? Or, you know, what am I investing in? Am I picking gross stocks? Am I picking, you know? Yeah. It's Maybe. that a lot of folks, you know, we talked really about factor-based investing. Mm-hmm. Right. And it was this beta-based. Uh, and then we talked about, tr- you know, there's other ways to build investments around market capitalization and so forth. But consider that the type of investment strategies can come in and out of favor too, right? So the methodology. Some years, Warren Buffett doesn't look that smart, mm-hmm. right? Because... He's a value investor, and value investing isn't always in favor. He's not a fad investor, right? Like, right. oh, AI, the fad. Like, right. Yeah, Well, exactly. cryptocurrency, right? Warren yep. Buffett was big on saying, I can't understand why there's any value in this whatsoever. It's not worth it to me. I'm not going to touch it. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, so uh, th- those are because cryptocurrency has been much more of a trading instrument than an investment. Right. Invest in what you know. Things that hold actual physical value, right? Well, that, that's his philosophy, certainly. Mm-hmm. Now, there are many people that do trade, mm-hmm. right? Trading Successfully, is, too. Yeah, trading can work. Mm-hmm. And so it's just statistically, it's a lot harder. And it's not what we talk about, because investing is a different concept, because the risk and reward is different, right? Mm-hmm. And, and for me, trading is when you start to turn the stock market into more like gambling. Mm-hmm. Right. It really starts to resemble gambling more. And what you're trying to do is get just a certain amount of edge in the odds. You're trying to come up with exploits. And um, it's there's a little bit of like poker theory to it almost of like, well, how can I read the 
other investors and try to outsmart them at the game. So there's a lot of gamesmanship to it that, and, and there's a lot of like mental discipline required. It's really, the, the really excellent traders have the same rules as investors have. They just happen really, really Short, fast. Yeah, a lot shorter term thinking. Yeah. So, but for investing, those those rules of being style consistent and knowing what your value system is. When I say you know value system, like what are the rules of engagement for how you're going to do this in advance, and not chasing the trend can be really really important because typically by if you're chasing, you're buying, right? And and, mm -hmm. that, and that tends to cost, right? So you might get lucky sometimes, but it tends to cost. So anyway. Uh, I just realized we have allowed this once again to run kind of long and are probably up on grabbing one more break here. I know we want to talk about just a few last time. We're talking concepts here, but I want to give you some nuts and bolts things for investing. Like, like what are some of the mechanical things that, that can help you reduce risk or can help you analyze whether or not something makes sense? Okay, so we'll talk really high level about the concept of pricing models mm -hmm. and what that means to investors. But we got to take our last break. Stick around. I'm Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 90 through 9 FM and 1240 KQEN. Well, we can't hear the intro music, so we're going to take a wild stab that we are back on. And this for the final segment of the True Wealth Show. Uh, again, if you're just grabbing, uh, just, just tuning in, you can grab what you know, a bunch of what you missed on the podcast tomorrow. Go to littlejohnfs.com under the Knowledge Center. Matt. Mm -hmm. This is KQEN Local oh. Talk at 4 on yep. News Radio yep. 939 yep. FM and 1240 KQEN. Okay. I think maybe we're back on now. We had a little bit of a, a glitch there, but anyway, I hear the music. We're back on. So, welcome back to the True Well Show. Uh, just reminder to everybody, you get caught up if you miss something. One, we'll clean it up on the podcast. So, you know, that'll be good. It'll be it'll be easy to listen to. Two, you'll find the stuff you missed. But for all of you that are just uh, trying to sneak out a little early, 5 o'clock came early. Awesome. Uh, we're trying to give you a few high-level pointers as investors. And, Matt, I wanted to make this point, and I'm hoping you can help me here. Okay. If supply and demand is what drives the market, uh, ultimately, then what does the pricing model or valuation have to do with stocks at all? Yeah, it plays a role, but it might not be as big of a role as what we think. Yeah. Right. Well, and the thing is, well, how do, how do you do a mass psychology evaluation? It that's the hardest part, right? Like, where is the sentiment? And that's a really hard thing to measure. Yeah, because because. If I look at ABC Company mm -hmm. and say, you know, my analysis tells me that this thing is at a good price because I think it's going to grow more. But Matt looks at it and says, what? I mean, I think it's on sale because I looked at all the assets that it owns and it's trading less than book value. Right. You, what you're saying is you got to get just enough people on board, regardless of how they're thinking, as long as they're all in line to want to buy that's yeah. what really changes the price at the end of the day. Yeah. Who knows what the individual's actual motivation is? And so are. when someone comes to you and says, hey, David, why is this stock down today? You can just say to them, well... Why do you think it's down? <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> your guess is as good as mine, right? Like, sometimes it's obvious, right? Like, oh, like, this company just had a huge malfunction, and it's going to cost them a billion dollars to fix it. 
okay, well, we can probably figure out why the share price went down. But yeah, that was the story of Raytheon a few days ago. It was when they had a. I'm glad you you, know, you picked that, that up. <laughs> you read a, between an, the lines. A, an engine recall, and it's going to be all right. Well, how many billions is that going to take to fix? Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, I think it was a few hundred million in in recall costs or something. But the stock was hit by billions, right? Right, and so and it's you like think maybe an overreaction. And we kind of saw that, right? Because yeah. the there was a lot of people that showed up to buy, and it kind of drove the price up from right. that low point. Um, and so I think that's yeah. a perfect example of like everyone was worried, so a bunch of people sold, yeah. and then when they started doing the math, well, well the numbers a, didn't sometimes look. Sometimes it's as, ready, fire, aim, right? I mean, yeah. that's just what happens. There's no like, judge or jury. <laughs> it's just and and what we don't see in, on Main Street is the chatter of Wall Street, right? What I can tell you is uh, visit New York and just literally be in the area and. There's talk amongst the hedge fund managers and so forth about, well, what are the things that the market's pushing right now? What are the themes? I was struck by how sometimes simplistic the themes of the market are. Really? You see these, yeah, economists doing really sophisticated analysis about the cost of capital and money printing and money supply and the various uh, geopolitical events that are uh, being considered and you know the international trade and all this other stuff. And the hedge funds are just looking at it going, we feel like it's probably time to pump Nvidia and sell Intel. Right. And you're like, what? <laughs> like that's just the thing? <laughs> and that was the thing. <laughs> like and by the way, I'm not that it was not a re- true example right. or anything. That's just a fictional example, but sometimes it's just now, nah, you know, we we think that uh tech's where it needs to be. That's the story of AI right now. Mm-hmm. Right? We just think that this is the internet in 1999 is it is AI in 2023. Just mm-hmm. throw money at it and it'll be good. But it also kind of goes back to your theory of, you know, but how long are we in it for, right? Who's the last one out? Because that's kind of what it feels like. I, so what I remember is I started my career around 1999. And right watching during the everything bubble. go nuclear and the term the new economy came out where internet.com companies didn't have to have money as long as they had subscriber growth. Mm -hmm. And if they had more eyeballs showing up, they didn't need to make profits. And it was valued as such. And then come 2000, after the Y2K computer bug, everybody spent a bunch of money on upgrades, and we discovered most of those numbers were investor dollars, and it was just push, 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 Mm -hmm. right? And then the markets collapse. Right. And so this to me, like AI will, so the internet changed the world. Right. And they knew that it would, right. but they kind of jumped the gun a little too early on putting money in. So right. this isn't yeah. a Warren Buffett thing. This is a Dave Littlejohn quote. Okay. Ooh, Said, my favorite. Trees don't grow to the sky. They grow towards the sky. <laughs> okay. And, and that is how investments like this get out of whack is that AI will change the world and is changing the world. But does it change the world to the point where our economy in the next five years goes from 22, 23 trillion to 100 trillion? Right, does AI- Do we get a 5X multiple on our economy in the next five years? Does AI generate, yeah, 5X on the existing And, and my suspicion is uh, no, 
mm-hmm. that it doesn't work that way. Unless I, we keep printing money well, at the same rate. <laughs> unless, unless we literally dilute the currency, in which case, which, if we were thanks, to inflation Washington. adjust for yeah. it, then that's, uh, you know, that's gaming it, by the way. Mm-hmm. And and even then, it do, the, the supply and demand, maybe it plays out that way. Probably doesn't. Right. Probably doesn't. So there you have it. Anyway, uh, as you can tell, there are complexities to this. For many of you out there, the simple solution is, look, I dollar cost average into mutual funds, right? And a lot of, and for if you've got 401k plans, things like that, that is a mechanism to balance your risk out and to be diversified. I will remind you that it's not just diversification. You want to pay attention to allocation and correlation because that's what makes diversification go. Mm-hmm. Okay? And if you're finding, if, you, if that was something where you just went, that's a lot of shuns. Okay, it is, and what I would suggest is give us a call mm-hmm. because if that's if that is concerning to you, we can help. We've got some great tools. We're happy to run some analysis and at least get you a second opinion, help you get pointed in the right direction. Uh, Matt, how do they reach us if they want to? Give us a phone call at 541-375-0898 or you can text us at info at littlejohnfs.com. Or yeah. no, that's email. That's email but right? you can also text that same phone number. Yep, you can text um, 541-375-0898. So uh, all the different ways to reach us. And uh, if you've got a question, also email, get in touch with us. But we want to be a resource. And if you are looking for that trusted advisor, we, it would be a privilege to at least uh, chat. Yep. But we're out of time for now. So I guess we better wrap it up. Uh, Nat, th- thanks as always. Yes, it's been All right. great. Well, until next time, I'm Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. You've been listening to True Wealth on News Radio 939 FM and 1240 KQEN. The preceding program was paid for by Littlejohn Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.